0: Please rise for the reading of verses 5 through 9. Hear now God's Word. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. And thus far the reading of God's word, and all God's people said, Amen. There is no area of life that is not embraced by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the ruler of the universe, and he is our ruler, and that means that includes all of our relationships, everyone, friends, family, work, church, wherever we are, every relationship Jesus rules over. Because He's our Lord. And He rules over every circumstance as well. Wherever we are in life, wherever we live, whatever we do for a living, all of those things are things that He rules over. And this means that Christians think and act differently than those whose lives are not directed by Christ. If your Christianity is limited by Sundays or church attendance, then it is a counterfeit Christianity that will buy you nothing. As we've already seen in this epistle, there is nothing more practical than Christian doctrine, Christian teaching, the truth about Christ, the truth about the Gospel, the truth about God, the truth about sin, the truth about you and me. We've already seen the application of the doctrine of Christ to the family. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, how? As to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, how? As Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Children are to honor and obey their parents in the Lord. We now turn to consider how this doctrine of being in Christ applies to servants, or to employees, or to students, and also to masters, or bosses, or teachers. In all of these relationships, we naturally feel some tension, some strain, and this is because every last one of us is selfish and sinful. And that is the root, that selfishness is in fact the root of all of our sin. So no matter what our position is in life, there will always be challenges and there will always be conflicts and there will always be problems. The Bible assumes that for the believer, since he has undergone a profound change and he is now a new man, that all of these relationships and all of these circumstances will now be seen in a new light, that will dramatically result in different kinds of behavior. You are new creatures in Christ, therefore you have a new nature, and that means you also have a new perspective on everything. You look at everything differently. You, uh, The old things have passed away. Behold, all things, all relationships, all circumstances have become new. For you once were darkness, we read in Ephesians 5, 8, but now now you are light in the Lord. Walk or live as children of light. That's a pretty dramatic, fundamental difference, right? And so he addresses bondservants, or slaves, literally. As he always does, the Apostle is going to deal with both sides of the relationship equation. He will address both servants or slaves or students or employees as well as the masters, the teachers, the bosses. And in dealing with slaves and masters, he therefore is also principally dealing with other similar kinds of relationships. God is fully aware of the distinctions. And the divisions that we make so much of. And he puts them all into the right perspective, which is that everyone and everything is under him and is accountable to him. So whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever circumstances you're in, wherever you stand in relationship to other people, whether it's up or down or in the middle, Every one of us is accountable to God, and His perspective is to become our perspective. We are to look at that situation, we are to look at that relationship the way He does. So even if you were a literal slave, you still have duties to Christ in that position. Because you occupy a position in Christ... That is primary and it is above all the other positions. The starting place for every Christian is that we are, we occupy the position of being in Christ, in a relationship with Him. And then we go from there. There is a powerful parallel passage found in 1 Peter chapter 2 which sheds light on our text from Ephesians 6. It's First uh, Peter two thirteen through 21 Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservant of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the King. Servants, students, employees, be submissive to your masters with all fear or respect. Not only to the good and the gentle. But also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to, you, for to this you are called because Christ also suffers for us, leaving us an example that you... ...should follow in his footsteps. We are to act like Christ because we are in Christ. As the Bible often does, it pushes us to apply its principles even in the most extreme circumstances. Our obligation is to please God toward those who have authority over us... ...and it extends, he says, not only to the good ones... Not only to the gentle ones, but also, he says, to those that are harsh, unjust, unkind. These words were written to those who were subject to the cruel emperor Nero. And the Bible, you see, is far more concerned with our relationship to God than it is with any of these other things. Now, that's not to say that other things are not important. It's that they're further down the list than our loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving our neighbors. And even those two are in the right order. What's the first and greatest commandment? Love God. And there's a second one, and it is second. And that's to love your neighbor. In fact, the only way you can love your neighbor is to get the first one right. And so that's why it's so essential to get the priorities and to get things in the right order. And when we get things out of order, and especially when we put ourselves at the top of that list, and we make decisions about worship and we make decisions about relationships and we make decisions about how to work and all those things based upon our interests first rather than honoring Him first, things are going to begin to fall apart. And so... Loving God with your life, with our uh, with our with your attitude and behavior are the principal and central things. Is that crystal clear? No matter what position you occupy—husband, father, wife, mother, child, slave, employee, student, friend, or what or whatever—your first duty is to work in your position and relationship in a manner. That pleases God in Christ. And he is far more concerned with your attitude than he is your immediate happiness. You know why? Because he knows that if your attitude is godly, if your attitude is proper toward those who are over you, that ultimately you will be happy. He is concerned about your ultimate happiness in Christ... But he's not that concerned about your immediate happiness. He is concerned about your immediate attitude. Your perspective. We are sojourners in this world. The faithful men and women of the past were people who we read in Hebrews 11, waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, and who desired a, uh, a better, that is, a heavenly country. They had an eternal perspective. They had a long view to life. Not just today and this week and in this moment. I don't like this. But understanding that all of this is related to something much bigger, much longer lasting. And so too we are told. Colossians 3, 2 and 3. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Why? For you died and your life. It's hidden with Christ. As I said, this doesn't mean that things in this life are unimportant, but it does mean that we don't put the things in the world ahead of the world to come. As C.S. Lewis put it, this world is only shadows. The real world is yet to come. Perspective is everything when it comes to priorities, and man's chief priority is to glorify God wherever you are. Whatever foxhole you're in. And so while we shouldn't neglect this world or go out of this world, we must, however, keep this world in its right and subordinate position.
1: Yeah, but my job.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but my... Fill in the blank. There's no yeah buts here. Whatever it is, it's to be used to his honor. When God called Abraham... He didn't just call Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my person. That's not exactly what he said. Abraham was his person, but there was something else. Abraham, I also have your family, your wife, your children, your servants, your land, your cows, I assume the cats and dogs, and anything else that's yours, Abraham, is now mine. And it is to be used for my glory. That, Abraham, is your calling. Not just so that you, Abraham, can go to heaven, but so that you, Abraham, can take all the things that I, God, gave you and use them now for my glory and for the good of the world. So get get yourself home. Go home and teach your family that. Command your family to do that. Insist that your family do that. And I, the Lord, will bless you beyond all. All calculation. And Abraham believed God. And he went home and did that. Now we hear a lot in our day about equality. But like most subjects and political slogans, this one can be reduced to very simplistic terms, which blurs the lines of course, we are not equal in every way. You know that. So if somebody says, do you believe in equality? You need to ask some more questions. Equality in what way? Now that doesn't mean that we're not equal in some ways. We are equal as persons, but we do not occupy equal positions. We are equal persons. Why? Because we're all made in the image of God. We're His creatures. However, our positions in relation to God and to each other vary, and they usually change over time. Our text is addressing us as it pertains to our differing positions as superiors, inferiors, and equals. Our becoming Christians changes our relationship to God, but it doesn't necessarily change our positions. For example, a slave would still be a slave, a child would still be a child, a student would be a student, a wife would still be a wife, and so forth and so on. What does change is that we have a new perspective and an attitude in those positions that reflects our new standing in Christ, and this is clearly stated in 1 Corinthians 7, 20-24, very explicitly. So now you've been converted. Now you've become a Christian. Now what? Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Stay put. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. And then he says, But if you can be made free, use it. Go for it. If you can. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God. In the state in which he was called. In other words, your first obligation as a Christian is to submit to God's providence and to get happy about it in that place and in that position that he put you in. And if you can lawfully change that for the better, then go for it. And if not, then get busy representing Christ in it. In Romans 13, we have yet another example of this explicit teaching in Scripture. In fact, it's all over the place. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Again, this was written to Christians who were under the authority of the Emperor Nero. So I'm sure your boss and your headmaster or your principal or your teacher isn't nearly as bad as Nero. Of course, if someone is asking you or requiring you to sin against God, then you will have to take your stand against them and you will have to face the consequences. So, for example, when the apostles were ordered by the authorities not to teach any more in the name of Jesus, Peter and the other apostles answered in Acts 5.29, We must obey God rather than man. And this is what many Christian martyrs have done. But short of that, short of you being told to sin against God, You are called to perform your duties and not just perform them. You are called to perform them in a certain way that is distinctively Christian. So, first, I want you to think about where God has put you and who He has placed over you. Who are the people that occupy superior positions over you? got one or two or three or four in your head? So let me say this. You might be a better person than they are. You might be smarter, prettier, funnier, and more musically talented than they are. They might be mean, incompetent, stupid, prejudiced, and sing off pitch. So, what does God now require of you? How can you please God in this situation? Let me read verse 5 through 8 again of our text. Now we're going to go through this and see exactly what he says about that circumstance. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. So, number one. First, obedient to those who are your masters. In other words, you start with doing... Whatever they tell you to do. Pretty simple. That's what obedience is. Somebody who's the boss of you tells you what to do, and you do it. Outward conformity to the rules, all of them, all the time. That's it. Every last one, all the time. You know, I don't like that. You protest. I And a lot of other people think this rule is stupid. Or it's bad for the company. My boss is a jerk. He's an idiot. Well, we're going to address him next week. But right now, God is talking about what your job is. And your job is to obey. And God's your boss and his boss, too. And so that means this no end runs, no playing around the edges, straight up the middle, obedience. That's number one. Second, boy, the Bible is pesky. With fear and trembling in sincerity of heart. Man, now this is going to get hard. I don't only have to obey I got to do it like this beyond the outward obedience God expects something even more fundamental and essential and that's regarding your attitude and demeanor this isn't to be resentful obedience with eyebrows down and a scowl on your face and a stomp of the foot okay I'll do it no 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 This isn't mocking obedience. This isn't half-hearted obedience. God requires you to have and to show sincere respect to those who are over you. If for no other reason than the fact that God Himself has placed that person over you. You mean this... Incompetent person you placed over me, God? Yes. I want to to test you. I want to find out if you're going to please me, even if your boss is incompetent. I want to find out if you're going to do what I told you to do. I'll deal with your boss. You deal with you. Now, let me speak for a moment to all the Christian students and Christian employees. If you're not a real follower of Christ, then disregard this because only real believers can actually do this. So if you're not really serious about following Christ, you can say, okay, he's not talking to me because I'm not going to do it anyway because I can't do it. But if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, God expects you to go to school or to work with the best attitude, even under difficult circumstances, and to allow that good attitude to be seen in the way that you obey your teachers or your boss. And he expects that of you even if none of the other students or none of the other employees are doing it. But wait. The Bible isn't quite through with this point. It's going to go to a third requirement. And it says that this good attitude is not simply done with eye service as men pleasers. So he's going to dig down even deeper. God doesn't say to just put on a show when the boss or the teacher is looking. But when their back is turned or during recess, then you can go and gripe and complain. He doesn't say work hard when someone's watching and then goof off when they're not. In other words, you can be a hypocrite. You can turn this on and off as it suits you. Quick, here comes the boss. Here comes the teacher. Shh. You are not called to minimum performance. This is completely incompatible with a genuine Christian attitude. Dr. Lloyd-Jones makes this further observation. This means, among other things, that it is the business of the servant, the man who is employed, irrespective of who may employ him, To give himself utterly to his task and to his master while he is doing it. His time is not his own. It is his master's time. The money he handles is not his. It is his master's. Everything connected with his work is his master's. In other words, I would say that a Christian is disobeying the apostle's injunction if... During his master's time, and when he ought to be doing his master's work, he is directing his attention to any other interest. Now the real motivation for all this, all this hard, sincere obedience and diligent work is spelled out plainly and repeatedly in this text. This is why I said if you're not a true follower of Jesus, you can't do this. But if you are, you must. And here's why. I'm going to give you four times in this short little text, in three verses. It says, as to Christ, do this as though you were doing it to Christ. Verse 5. Verse 6, you are a bondservant of Christ. That's, that's to be your frame of reference. I'm serving Christ when I'm obeying my boss. Verse six, again, doing the will of God from the heart. God's already said this is his will for you to do this. Now you do it from the heart. And then verse seven, with good will, doing service, how? As to the Lord. You're a slave, you're a literal slave, working with a harsh master, and God says, No, you need to keep in mind that you're actually doing this and you're doing it with good will as to the Lord Now you might be you might not be an actual slave of another man but you are a bondservant of Christ And you are that every moment of every day This is the context for all of your work First Corinthians 6:20 For you were bought at a price Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He owns all of you, body and spirit. Your motive at work or at school is to glorify God, and if you ever get that squared away in your heart and mind, you will become a noticeably happier person. Your mom and dad will say, What's wrong with him? What happened? Who is she? Your wife will like, man, he comes home from work. He was actually whistling. He was, uh, he was cheerful when he walked in the door today instead of slamming something down on the table. And wives, the same way in your work by the way, if you start living like this, you will be preaching the gospel louder and more clearly than you ever have before. This question comes up frequently, a lot of young people. How do I share the gospel at work? Short answer, work. Be honest, work hard. I'll say more here in a moment. If you do that... Everyone will notice. Not everyone goes to church, but most of them go to work. Joyful, sincere, hard work by Christians, I believe, is the best evangelism. The world will judge Christ by what they see in you. Therefore, we should always be cheerful, honest, diligent, reliable, helpful, trustworthy, and whatever other adjectives you want to add to that list. Joseph was a great example of this, wasn't he? He was sold into slavery by his wicked brothers. And as a slave, he gets purchased by Potiphar. He's put in charge of Potiphar's house, and he rises to the top. Now, he's lied about, treated in an evil way, and he goes to prison. What happens in prison? we read all through Joseph's story, and the Lord is with him, the Lord is with him, and the Lord is with him. He not only went to prison, he goes to prison, and then he's forgotten in prison. But there was a hierarchy of jobs and positions within the prison. Guess which one Joseph obtained? The top one. What was God doing? Did Joseph know what God was doing? Did Joseph have to trust the Lord? How how? How much trust did it take when he was in prison to get up every day and and please the Lord? He had no idea how or when or what God was going to do with him. So what did he do? Well, when he's finally out of prison, what kind of job does he end up with? Second only to Pharaoh in all of Egypt? Wherever he went, he found favor in God's eye. You ought to be one of your teacher's favorites. You know why? Because you're cheerful and you have a good attitude and you work hard. Teachers, y'all like that? You like students like that? They're pretty easy to like, right? Employers, you like employees like that? Show up on time, work hard, cheerful, contribute to what you're doing. Yeah. They're going to get raises and, jo- and promotions and commendations and pats on the back and recognition. And the Bible's full of others. We have David and Daniel and Nehemiah. They were powerful examples of this kind of living. And Peter says, "Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time." And then he adds same sentence Casting all your cares on Him because He cares for you. Say, Lord, this isn't fair. Lord, this is hard. Lord, I don't like this. Lord, this is stupid. Lord, whatever you're putting up with at work or school and say, you know what? The Lord said cast all that on Him. Just give it to Him. Pray about it. Hand it to Him. Cast your care on Him because He cares for you. He'll take care of it. He'll take care of you. Everything we do is to be done unto the Lord as to Christ. Martin Luther discovered, in his, uh, he discovered this in spite of the fact that he had been taught that if a man really wanted to serve God, he had to separate himself from the world, and so he became a monk. But he found no satisfaction there. Among the many new things that he came to see was the fact that when a servant girl... Sweeps a room, she too can be working for God. Counting beads was not very satisfactory. We don't need to become monks or hermits in order to be Christians, and you sure don't have to be a preacher, but here is what you do have to do. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. People are watching you all the time. You know how I know? Because you're watching people all the time, aren't you? How many times have you seen or heard someone do something good or bad and they never knew that you saw it? They never knew you heard that. Perhaps they didn't see you seeing them. Perhaps they didn't recognize you and thus their guard was down. No doubt... You have also been uh, both both pleasantly and unpleasantly surprised by what you observed, pleased or disappointed in the person. Well, it works the other way as well. You too are seen far more than you might think, and you are always seen by God. I love the children's catechism. Can you see God? And the answer is no. But he always sees me. And like you, these other people also remember what they observe, oftentimes for many years. I'll never forget the time that I heard him say. I'll never forget the time that I saw her. You see, we're sometimes tempted to join in with whatever crowd we're with, away from the church people or your parents. You can be yourself, right? Sometimes we simply think we're alone. But we're never alone. We're always church people. Because we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And we're always connected to Him and to His people. At school and at work, you represent Christ and His people. Not just the eyes of Texas that are upon you. But more importantly, Proverbs 15:3, "The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Let's pray. Father, you have called us from all kinds of backgrounds and various walks of life to comprise your body and you have sent us out to occupy a variety of places and positions and to let our light shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify you. Help us to be faithful in every little thing. I pray for the students who labor under teachers and administrators. Help them to be joyful, respectful, and sincere for Christ's sake. Give them resolve to live in Christ and to walk in the Spirit each day. Help them to transform their places into little outposts of the kingdom of God. And for every employee, I pray for Christ honoring gratitude about their work and their bosses. Help them to be thankful and to rejoice in and for all things. And may they be exemplary workers so that others will see Christ in them in whose name we pray. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table, we come to remember who Christ is and what He has done. You've heard me say this over and over, and I'm going to say it a million more times because we keep forgetting. But we also come to remember who we are in Him and why we're here. And that is that we're here to represent Him to the world. Do you truly believe that? Do you trust Him? Do you have faith? Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Our text in Ephesians 6.8 says that we know something. We know that whatever good anyone does he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Even if no one else notices you, no one else notices how hard you work, your diligence, no one else notices joyful work at school or on the job, this verse tells us that God is watching. He sees. He rewards. That's the way the world works. There aren't really any accidents. And so today, as you come to the table again, I ask you to believe Him and to make a fresh commitment to own your position in Christ as His bondservants and purpose to go forth. And be a new kind of student or employee, so that he will see you, so that he might bless you and use you for his glory and for the good of others. So would you do that today as we come to the Lord's table? Our Heavenly Father, we offer up our united praises at the footstool of your divine majesty, We thank you that you preserved us during the night and raised us up again to see the light of another morning. And now that we are about to return again to our ordinary duties and calls in life, after a day spent in your immediate worship and service, enable us to go forth with an earnest desire to live in Christ under the influence of your heavenly grace. May it be a blessing to us and to those around us that we have spent a day in corporate communion with you and your people. May our minds continue on the things above, and may we fulfill our duties in our various positions with fidelity. As little children, we have all come to your table, Father. And as, a, and as we have renewed covenant with you, may we serve in this coming week with humility and reliance, laying aside all envy, covetousness, and jealousy, knowing that we are supplied by the riches of your grace in Christ Jesus, that we have been completely forgiven and cleansed, that we start anew. Help us now to live in communion with one another, being slow to judge and quick to forgive. Bless us now as we feast, and as we rest and rejoice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandments of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise be glory, through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Amen.